morning, everyone. You asked for it. We love this series. We've done it several times before. In fact, it's been now a couple of years since we've done this series, but it's the time when you get to choose what we talk about. And so you get to write in all the questions, and we got some really good questions. We, in fact, we had too many questions for the number of weeks that we're going to be doing this series. And so uh, this is what we actually did. We, we sat down as a staff, we looked at all the questions, and we put them in. Okay, these are vital questions that we believe everybody at some point may struggle with. And, and there were other questions that were really personal to maybe a select, a very few or select group, or maybe an individual. And so we took all the ones and we had more questions than we had number of weeks that we're going to do the series. So what did we do? We got a box. We folded up all the questions. We put them in a box and we let God decide. And so we just, we prayed over the box. Taryn and I are both going to be doing the series. And so we wadded up our names and we put one over here and one over here. And then we just drew out the questions. And so we came up with four questions and we have our first one for today and I'm excited about it. But before we get into that, there's just something I want to do at the expense Fred knows. I don't ever mean to embarrass him, but yes, I do. And so I loved it. When he was leading worship and I heard Derek go, hey, Fred, right? And Fred's like, well, good morning. Let me tell you where that comes from. For those of you who are new, for those of you who've just recently been coming or you're just checking us out, First City Church started in February of 2003 with that man right there and a group of people who believed in him and believed in, yes, So I know this is the Lord's day, but he also said it's okay for us to give honor to whom honor is due, right? And so Fred has always been so faithful. And he, along with a group of elders and, a, and a, well, actually at that time, it was a group of people who met over and had like 19 people, families, who got together, loved the Lord, and was at what, God, what are you calling us to do? They decided we're going to begin a body of people who are going to just reflect the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And they said, we have, how much money do we have? And do we have enough money to hire somebody? And they made a phone call to Fred Tate. And he became the first minister, pastor of First City Church. And has faithfully served. And I just tell you, he welcomed me when I came on staff. And then he welcomed Taryn. And then the rest of the people, Tyler, who is normally leading our worship, uh, is, is you know, out of town with his wife, Jess. And so Fred started almost like a one-man wrecking crew. He led worship. He preached. He taught all the classes. He did everything. And then he moved over, and then he really just, you know, did his heart like leading worship. And as you can see, his talent for all of that. And I just don't want to forget, and I don't want you to forget, how this church got started and with whom it got started. Because when God looks to me, when God looks at Fred Tate, he says, well done, faithful servant. Well done, faithful servant. And we're going to talk about today in our question about being faithful, holding on to what it is that God put on our heart for as long as we have breath. And so will you do me, I know you clapped a little bit, but I just want to honor the faithfulness of those of you 
who have gone before us, started this church, including Fred, and have allowed us to now pass on to our children the things of God. Would you honor Fred and those who started? Would just give by with a hand clap, just let them know how much they mean. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. And Fred will tell you the one who really deserves all the credit is his wife, Nicole, who's sitting back there, right? So, so uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so here's our question for today. And, and uh, this comes from you know, a, a really, really good heart. Listen, I know I'm saved because of what scriptures say, but I'm still afraid I will hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. How do you know for sure? Has anyone in here ever struggled with whether or not you're saved or not, or whether or not you feel like you're good enough to go to heaven, or whether or not you, anyone, just raise your hand if you've ever struggled with that question. Okay. And so you can tell the heart of this individual loves God. And I try to tell you, you know, when you're looking at questions like this, let me show you where it comes from. It comes from this passage in Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's a sobering passage, isn't it? And when you look at that passage, it does seem to imply that there are people who can call Jesus Lord, who can make a decision, I want you to be my Lord, and who can actually do many wonderful things, but still in the end miss it so that God will say, I'm sorry, I don't know you. And so... There are a lot of different approaches to this passage, and there are a couple of theological, we call them hermeneutics, just your approach to Scripture. I don't want to get too deeply into that, but I will say this. Out of this COVID deal, there are a lot of people who really feel like they were standing on solid ground, and they don't feel like they're standing on solid ground now. With their health, with their life, in relationships, with their jobs, with their finances, with their futures, with their career, in a lot of areas. And I was talking with uh, the police department, actually with uh, 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 Tommy Leiter, you know, who's now in the sheriff's department. And he was like, we, we have a mental health crisis in our community. And you need to be praying about it. Domestic abuse is dramatically up. And it's elevated to such high levels that there are more shootings in the homes right now than ever before. And they're having them now regularly. There have been 1,600 Baker Acts just in the last year. It's over five a day. A Baker Act is when you have to have some of them come and arrest and take into a behavioral for 72 hours because they, their health, mentally, they're, they're at a risk. And so with, all, you know, alcoholism way up, there's people are turning to a lot of, the, I used to stand on solid ground. I used to think my home was secure. I used to think I had a good approach to life. But all of a sudden, 
Everything feels out of whack. Everything feels unsure to me. What about my salvation? Do I even have that right? So before we get into the question, can we just pause and pray? Lord God, you are our firm foundation. On everything else, it's shaky ground, sinking sand. Without you, we are nothing. And so, Lord God, we want to stand firmly in our faith. We want to know that in the end, we're going to win. As your scriptures declare, that all things will work together for good to them who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So, Lord, I thank you for the heart of the person who wrote this question. And I pray that today we will look at the sobering side of what it means to really be obedient to Jesus. And we'll look at the grace and hope feel side. That it's because of Jesus' perfection that we are saved. Not our own. Thank you Lord for that. So be with us as we just open up this question and have a conversation in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you look at the question, I know I'm saved because of what scriptures say. There are really two sides of this question. And the first side is, what do the scriptures say? What is the theology behind salvation? And, and how do I approach that? How do I talk about that? And, and what is it that I can pull up so that I know for sure exactly what God is saying you know, through his holy word on where I stand when it comes to my salvation? But there's also this, I'm still afraid, this very emotional side I don't feel like I'm saved. And that comes from a couple of different ways. And one of it may be I'm just not acting or being obedient in the way that I should be. The other may be I just feel like enough is never enough. And I got to tell you, Fred would probably attest to this also. There are a lot of times I feel like I'm not doing enough. That there's more that God calls me to do. Or that I just... I'm, I'm too lazy, or I just turn my face, or I, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's just I should be doing more. Maybe you're thinking, you know what? Truth be told, I should be doing more, right? And so maybe that's where it comes from. So I first want to start with the theology side. Now, before we even get into the scriptures, there is this, like I was talking about while I go back to this hermeneutic, there's this approach to scriptures about how you look at things, because there are two different uh schools of thought when it comes to salvation. And, and if you were sitting in a class and you were studying theology, they would say, well, one comes, you know, from this Armenian side and one comes from this very Calvinistic side. Armenian side comes from Church of Christ, Christian Church, those, the, those kind of churches. The Calvinists come from uh, like a Baptist and those kind of churches. And in this assembly, we have people who've been to a lot of different churches. If I were to ask you to raise your hand, how many of you come from a Church of Christ? How many of you come from a... Yeah, let's just do it. How many of you come from Church of Christ? Just raise your hand. How many of you were a part of a Christian church? Raise your hand if a Christian church. There you go. Church of God. Anybody? Nazarene. Methodist. Baptist. Uh, Pentecostal. Raise both hands. <laughs> right? So as you see, did you see? We have people in here from, from all different churches. And we all have a different normal in the way that Scripture was taught and the way that, that there was this approach to what we have written. 
And we now come into this non-denominational independent church called First City where we really just want to take nothing else that anybody is telling us to believe and study the scriptures for ourselves, rightly divide the word of truth and see what God is saying. And so I want to look at this emotion side, but here you go. This is a, one of the quotes, and this is from R.J. Sproul, and he's a Calvinist. For the Armenian, salvation is possible for all, but certain for none. In the Calvinist position, salvation is sure for God's elect. This is what he's saying. For the Armenian, there are those of you who believe that if I go to heaven, it's only by the, I don't even know where we got this expression, skin of my teeth. Anybody ever heard, what is that? Ugh. Right? So if I go to heaven, it's only because I prayed one last prayer before I took my last breath. And only then, maybe, God will say, well, okay, we'll, we'll just let you in. And on the opposite side, it's like, no, 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 no. Once you say, I want Jesus to be my Lord, and you call on his name, it does not matter how you live or what you do. You'll never lose your salvation. And there's a long sliding scale between those two positions. Which one are you? Because we carry in us this, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. Some of you in here carry this, I am never afraid of my salvation because Jesus is good. And by the way, let me just go ahead and declare, declare 100% of your salvation is because of what Jesus did on the cross. End of discussion. Can I just say that? Amen. Amen? Jesus went to a cross and died for you. And his gift to you, if you receive him, is salvation. You can't earn it. You can't do enough to deserve it. You can't work hard enough for it. So he gives it to you as a gift. All he asks out of you is for you to give him your whole heart. I said that like it's simple. All he asks is that you give him your whole heart. And that's what we struggle with, isn't it? That's really where this question comes in. It's not really about whether your salvation is in jeopardy. Because Jesus holds that in his hands. All you have to do is say yes to him. Right? So... There's this sliding scale. Here's you another quote. I love this quote. Salvation is not a prayer you pray in a one-time ceremony and then move on from. Salvation is a posture of repentance and faith that you begin in a moment and maintain for the rest of your life. I love that quote. You agree with it? That salvation is, it's, it's just this posture. I want to begin living a life with God. And so I claim the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in my life. And now because of that, it has changed everything. In other words, because God has given you salvation, all you want to do is serve him the rest of your life. So you don't work hard so that you can be saved. Because God has saved you, you want to give him the rest of your life. Now, I heard this one, it's next, you know, this next slide that I'm going to show you, and I think I'm just going to present it to you to see what you think about it. And here it is. There's a difference between losing your salvation and leaving your salvation. How many of you have heard this expression, you can or you cannot lose your salvation? Just, okay. If you lose something, you don't know where to find it. You can't lose your salvation because you always know where to find it. You can only leave it. So there's these notes in your 
pew in front of you. So this is something that I want you to talk about. Study. Bring up in your small groups that we're going to be having. Go to someone who you really respect in the Lord and begin asking these questions. And so, so this is the theology side. So the two questions on your notes are, do you believe you can lose your salvation? And there are those in this room who will say, not at all, not a chance because it's in Jesus' hands. Okay. And there are others who are like, oh boy, I don't know. I think maybe because I just, I'm not a good person. The second question is, do you believe you can leave your salvation? And so Luce, to me, and this is really all he was talking about in this, in this quote, was that losing something means you didn't mean to do it. It's just like, I, I don't know where my keys are. I can't find them. I didn't mean to lose them. I didn't mean to set them down someplace that I wouldn't remember where I you know, laid them down. And so where are, you know, and so you can't do that with your salvation. However, you can make an intentional decision. You know what? I'm just, I don't, I don't want Jesus in my life at all. And you can walk away from it and God will let you. Do you agree with that? And so really, he's saying, it comes down to your heart. Now, when you look at this, the scripture, we already read this. You know, so that sentence says, okay, there are those who are going to say and do a lot of spiritual things, but there's something going on that God cannot support. What was it? Well, context is important. And so if you look down on A, it's the fill in the blank is wolves in sheep's clothing. Wolves in sheep's clothing. If you look in Matthew 7, the preceding verses, verses 15 through 17, this is what he was talking about. Beware false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. We all agree with that. But he says there are some people who really don't care about doing the right thing. They want to look good. They want to get paid. They want to do a bunch. They're going to say a bunch of things. And you're going to look at them and you're going to say, wow. And you're going to begin to follow them. But there are people, even in the Christian community, who really don't care about doing what is right. And what you see is not really what's inside. He said there are people, hopefully we're not one, who can get all dressed up and act like we're spiritual, but when no one else is watching, we're not spiritual at all. In fact, we hide who we really are. And he says, these people are dressed up like sheep, but they're really wolves. And don't, don't think that anybody like that is going to be able to pass that test when it comes to standing before God. There are people, they don't care. They do it intentionally. They may hide it, but they really don't care about being obedient. That's who he's really talking about. So here's your question. Is that you? Are you the kind of person who wants to look like you're spiritual, wants to look like you have a relationship with God, but when no one's watching, you're really being disobedient, and that's what you're running after. That's where your heart really is. And he is saying, if that's where you are, you need to know. One day, I'm going to say, when you come in front of me, like, Lord, please, let me in, let me in. I'm going to say, wait a minute. I don't recognize you. You don't belong to me. 
you never gave me your heart. So then on the back side of it, verses 24 and 25, actually through verse 27, he says this, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock, and the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. If you, not about being perfect, but if you in your heart have determined, I want to stand with Jesus Christ, I do want to give him my life, and I want to be obedient. I want to follow what he says. Your salvation is so solid, it does not matter what comes. It's not going to crumble. Then he gives the opposite. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell. And this is the heart of God. And great was its fall. It tore me up. Right? And so here's the sobering question. And, And it's rhetorical, so don't answer it out loud. Are you obedient to what God has called you to do? And, and I want you to write this down on your notes. And so here it is. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. No one born of God. No, if God has really transformed you, let me let you see how Paul wrote it in Romans 6. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, and it has... His grace is so abundant. His salvation is so free. He just freely gives it to you. No one who has experienced that, accepted that, run after that. Does that mean we can't go on sinning? No one says, does that mean we can go on sinning? He's like, of course not. Of course not. Do you realize that you become a slave to whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. But if you say yes to Jesus... And you did it from your heart. How can you continue running after sin? It's a heart issue. Did you really give God your heart? And if so, it will always be reflected in your decisions and how you live your life. So he's like, if you did that, then you need to, in fact, I'm going I'm to, cover the emotional side and more of the theology side here but you just need to know it's really about your heart and about your obedience so now I want to look at the emotional side this side where we're like who I just don't know it really comes from two things in fact I'm going to give you three different preachers who have talked on the topic the first one is J.D. Greer so I really like this guy really good preacher really good thoughts and uh And so he was asked the same question. And this is what he said. You can fill out your blanks. Remember, your present posture is better proof than a past memory. So when someone writes, man, I don't don't know if I'm saved or not. They're remembering, you're remembering where you've been and what you've done, mistakes you've made and things that embarrass you. And what he's saying is just the fact that presently you're writing the question is a better reflection of your heart than what you did that might have been wrong. And so, where are you today is what he's asking. 
What's in your heart right now? What do you want to do when it comes to your relationship with God? Do you want to give him your whole heart? Do you want to be obedient? If so, then this is not something you need to worry about. And your present posture is better than a past memory. And we've all got them. I'm embarrassed all the time. You know, one of the things that just embarrasses me is, when will I ever lose my desire to sin? Because sometimes somebody will cut you off in traffic or they'll do something, and it doesn't take very much for inside me to go, boy, I want to show him. Right? And I get so embarrassed that I still struggle with that part of me that just wants to show somebody, I'll show you, right? I'm just embarrassing. Or that I still have to say, you know what, I didn't do that. I, I said I would, and I'm sorry. I, right? So, I love that. Here's a second quote from him. Oh, I love this passage. This is one you really need to circle. Proverbs 24, 16. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. Now, this is me. <laughs> And he was weak on the word seven. <laughs> he should have said 70 times seven or 700 times seven, right? But the godly, listen, God, I, I know I'm so sorry. I just, oh, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord. I'm 60 years old. I don't think I will ever stop saying, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord. Okay, that's just a great verse. Which, which are you? You get to decide. Okay, here's the second one. Don't feel your way into your beliefs. Believe your way into your feelings. Great, Pat. That's just a great. So what, what leads you? Is it your feelings that lead or is it your faith that leads? Actually, I believe Billy Graham, the late Billy Graham, did a better job of talking about this than even J.D. Greer. He said, there are three words when it comes down to your salvation and what you feel about it or what you believe about it. And whether or not, you know, uh, you know God has got you in his hand. And he said, these are the three words, fact, faith, and feeling. When it comes to the way you view your salvation, number one, it's based on the fact that Jesus Christ was a real person, that he came from heaven lived among us a perfect life and that he went to a cross, died on that cross, was buried and raised again to life on the third day. And there's so much evidence about that. Those are the facts. Do you believe it? Yes or no? So your salvation, number one, is built on that fact. Jesus Christ really lived and he really died and was risen for your salvation. So number one. You hold on to that fact. Number two. Do you believe it? Do you have faith in it? Do you say that's where I stand. On that rock I stand. I do believe. I do receive. I, in my life. I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And I want to give my life to him. And he said if you do that. I will forgive your sin. I will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's your faith. Do you believe that? Then your feelings will come around that. So whenever you wonder, whenever you doubt, go back to the fact and go back to the faith. And let that lead 
how you feel. And then, because of whom, I love that, Timothy, when Paul wrote to Timothy, because of whom, this is Jesus, I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, and you can trust him. And then John Piper, he said, this is my final thing. It really only comes down to two different questions. When someone is doubting their salvation, the first scenario, the first question is this. Am I lukewarm? Have I drifted back into sin? I was running really strong. I was gung-ho for God. I was doing everything. I was capturing every thought and making it obedient to Jesus Christ. But somehow... I've just slipped back. I've, I've started talking in a way that I'm not proud of. I've started acting in a way I'm not proud of. I've started going places that I'm not proud of and doing things that are embarrassing. Is that you? Is that, is that you? And if so, he said there are two passages in 1 John that you need to read. And the first one is, if this is you, where you have just slipped back, you become complacent in your faith, and you're not being as obedient as what God has called, then, 1 John 1, 9, we confess our sins to him, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all you know, wickedness or unrighteousness. Just bow your head and tell God you are sorry. Repent and seek to do it no more. And you don't have to worry about whether or not God still holds you in his hand. That's the first scenario. And the second one is this. And this is really what we struggle with. Am I enough? I just don't think I'm enough. I'm not perfect. I do and say the wrong thing more than I want to admit. There's more that God's calling me to do that I'm not doing. I look around and I see other people really doing so much. And I tend to make excuses instead of really pursuing the kingdom of God and what he's called me to do with my talent. I'm just not enough. And there are some people who really struggle with it. Just constantly, I'm not enough, I'm not enough, I'm not enough. And this is where John, you know John was the last apostle to die. The only one who was not martyred in the name of Jesus. And uh, history tells us that John, when he was of old age, he couldn't walk like he could in his younger days. And so they would pick him up. And they would bring him into the assembly of believers. And everybody sat around and they wanted to hear what he had to say because he walked with Jesus. And he was the one whom Jesus really loved. And John would sit down and he had this one phrase that he would use over and over and over. And it was the phrase, my dear children, little children. Fred, y'all can come on up. My dear children, just real tender. He said, look. Look, listen to me. It's as if, for those of you who are parents, you know when your child is struggling and they're embarrassed and they're crying and, and they don't know. And you're like, come here, come here, come here. And you just pick them up and you just wrap them in your arms because you know that's the safest place they can be. That's what he's, this is the tenderness of God showing itself. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you'll not sin. I don't want you to do wrong. I don't ever want you to do something that embarrasses you or that makes you feel less than what God has called you to. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. 
And he is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. You have someone in heaven who is seated next to God and is saying to God, she belongs to me. She has given me her heart. And I know she's struggling. But I plead for her. I died for her. And Jesus pleads your case. This has nothing to do with your salvation. It is fully, firmly in the hands of God. And so, the question is, where is your heart? Where are you today? And what is it that you want to offer God? He asks for nothing less than our whole heart. The last prayer, I've said this you know, before, I ever heard my grandfather pray. Was, and he was right before he was 80 years old. He was in his late 70s. Right before his death, his prayer was this. Lord God, teach me how to give you my whole heart. That changed my life. It's a pursuit for the rest of our life. And if that's your heart, don't worry about your salvation. It belongs to Jesus. If you're disobedient, you need to stop. You need to give God your whole heart. And His Holy Spirit will help you. We're going to go and celebrate that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as we leave. I want to thank you for your tithes and offerings. You know, those of you who are just so faithful to give online. And we have boxes in the back for your offerings. And, and as we're leaving, take communion and just celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection and what he's done for you. Let's pray.